Thank you for joining us for another podcast from Covenant Community Church. And now, today's message from Senior Pastor John Lofton. Amen. John chapter 1. Let's go to John chapter 1. We're going to start reading at verse 14. John chapter 1. We're going to start reading at verse 14. Thank you so much for being here today to hear more about that dynamic word called grace. John 1.14 says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of what? Grace, grace and truth. So Jesus was full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him, being Jesus Christ, and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. He's talking about Jesus Christ. And of his fullness, we have all received what? Grace for grace. Man, that's just those few uh, verses. We see a grace three times, right? Grace for grace. Hallelujah. And it goes on uh, to say that in verse 17, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know if you ever noticed how often grace was mentioned in this chapter before, but I always read over those things until I really begin to focus in on grace. It said the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Last verse, 18. No one has seen God at any time, the only begotten of the Father. It's um, uh, monogonies. That's the name of that word, begotten. Monogonies is the Greek word. It means single of its kind single of its kind, the only begotten son who is in the bosom of the father, he has declared him. Now we know from the first chapter or the first verse of chapter one, it says that in the beginning was the word, the word was with God and the word was God. All things was in the beginning with God and that there was nothing created without him. So in other words, Jesus Christ was there at creation. He is God. So being that he is God, he had to be there from the very beginning, being doing the creative work of God. So if Jesus is God, and we know that he is, and Jesus was full of grace and truth, when he came to the earth, when he was born, he was still full of grace and truth. Now, if he was full of grace and truth and he never sinned, why did he use, how did he use grace? So we normally or typically we talk about grace from a redemptive perspective that if I mess up the grace of God, I mean, you know, I can just come and repent. Amen. But Jesus was full of grace, but he never sinned. So what did he use grace for? That was my question. Since grace has more to do with other things rather than from a redemptive perspective, then obviously I don't know where grace really is. This is what got me started on this journey. Jesus was full of grace and truth, but yet he never sinned. Why did he need grace? This also speaks to the aspect that grace was here before Adam ever sinned. It was here before the foundation of the world, well before Adam sinned. So if grace was here before Adam sinned, we got to go back before the fall to see how did they use grace before he sinned. Somebody said pre-fall. See, that's a pre-fall mentality because we're all in a post-fall mentality because we all fall short, right? We, we are in the first Adam now, right? But if we can go back to paradise and figure out what was life like before Adam sinned, then that's where we should be operating. 
What would be the competency level of a man without sin in his life made in the image of God that have never sinned? What could that man do? What could he perform? How close would he be to the father? You know who that man is? His name is Jesus. So he came to be the example because the first man, Adam, did sin. The last, somebody say last. He wasn't the second because if he was the second, there could be a third. He was the last man, Adam, and he came to show us what it would be like with a man without sin in his life, made in the image of God, the homage day of God. What could he do? He showed us what a man could do. And then he said, I want you to do what I did. Somebody say grace. So grace is not a get out of hell free card. Right? Grace, you use grace each and every day of your life. Go to Romans chapter 5. Turn right. I'm going to give you a lot of scriptures today. Normally I have them on the screen, but I'm not going to do that today. We're going to work today. Amen? Romans chapter 5. If you need a Bible, raise your hands and put a Bible in your hands because you need to see this in the Word of God. Romans chapter 5, verse 19. I'm going to start reading while you turn there. The Bible says, For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. So who are we talking about here? We're talking about two men. One man's disobedience, that's the first man, Adam, because he abdicated his responsibility by eating of the forbidden fruit. He had a responsibility to say no, but he also had the authority to kick the devil out of his house. How often do we as Christians, we just keep complaining about stuff and putting up with stuff when we need to be speaking against things because we have the authority to kick it out. Now, how is it? How can a husband sit there and allow a demon to talk to his wife all day long without kicking a demon out of his house? For the Bible says she ate and then gave to her husband who was with her. So he sat there and listened to the whole thing. Punk out just abdicated his responsibility and men you shouldn't punk out in your own house you need to stand as a man of God in your house you need to be the first one praying the first one worshiping the first one giving the first one getting the kids ready for church because you are responsible for your family now see I ain't get one amen from the men that's all right you punked out on me then but that's okay I'm gonna keep on preaching anyway So he goes on to say in verse 20, moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace, come on, somebody, grace much more abounded. In other words, your fall would never be greater than your call. It don't matter how deep you fall, your call can pick you back up with grace on your side. I don't know if I'm talking to the right church or not. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Somebody say grace. Grace. All right, turn with me to 1 Peter. We're going to turn right again. Is this making sense at all? Praise God. Don't mean to scream, but I'm a little excited. Y'all need to be ready on that keyboard. I know that. Where's my drummer? Where's Josh? We need those drums back over here, boy. 1 Peter chapter 5. We're going to start reading at verse 6. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6. I'm going to go ahead and start reading while you turn there. Are you ready? Somebody say, I got it. So verse 6 says, Therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, 
that he may exalt you in due time. Listen, saints of God, just stay humble. It may not be your time yet, but just stay humble. He will exalt you when the time is right. Just stay humble. Well, somebody else is getting blessed. Stay humble. Somebody else is going through some mess. Stay humble. God, you haven't opened the door for me yet. Stay humble. God, I can see. I can almost see you beginning to do something. Stay humble. God opens the door for you. Stay humble. God blesses your life. Stay humble. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and he will exalt you in due time. Listen, it may not be time yet because you haven't gone through the process of preparation so God can get, to, to get you to your provision. And see, there's the crucible that we have to go through at times because God is trying to get all the dross out. And see, the only way that you can get dross out of silver or gold is you got to heat the crucible up. And you're trying to figure out, well, God, why are things heating up in my life? Why are things going on like they're going on? Well, God is just trying to get some stuff out of your life right now. You say, God, I've never gone through things like this before. God said, yeah, I got some stuff I'm trying to make you see. And sometimes you can't see what's in you unless you get in the right perspective in your life. And God can put you in a place and he can put you there so you can see, oh, yeah, I need to deal with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're getting the dross out, but I'm going to stay humble. Come on, somebody. Am I talking to the right people now? So I'm going to stay humble. Humble yourself. God will bless you in due season, saints of God. I promise you, if you just stay in there, don't quit. Somebody said, don't quit. Don't quit. Don't be weary and well-doing, for in due season you shall reap if you faint not. Don't quit. Don't give up. Because every time the, when the pain gets the greatest is when you're closest to your miracle. That's when the doctor says, hold on, mama, you can't give up right now. I know the pain is great, but you can't give up. You've got to push. you got to give birth to this baby right now. And although it's going to be painful right now, but when you look in the face of that child and see the glory of the Lord on that child, it will be worth more than the pain that you ever experienced. you got to push. We're going to have to push, thanks of God. Casting down all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. Be sober. That's the word calm. Listen, listen. Don't flinch. It's just a test. It says be sober. And then it says be vigilant. That means be watchful. You're going to have to watch what's going on, saints of God. Hello, somebody. You got to have some discernment in your heart about what's going on. You got to discern people who need to be in your life and who don't. Oh, bless the name of Jesus. Everybody shouldn't be in your life. Let me just tell you something right now. I make a decision who I want in my life. And I don't want everybody in my life. I'm just telling you right now, oh, yeah, you're a pastor. Yeah, I know I'm a pastor. And everybody don't need to be attached to me. Everybody don't need to be attached to you. You have to discern by the power of God that's in your life who needs to be attached to you and who doesn't. You need to know who needs to be an associate and who needs to be a friend. <laughs> Glory to God. Y'all still love me? Praise God. I love you, too. Because some of y'all are attached to people you need to be letting go of. That'd be another, yeah, push it out. Yeah, praise the Lord. <laughs> he says, because. He wants you to be calm and watchful because there's a reason. He said, because your adversary, the devil. Somebody say, your adversary. He didn't say mine. He said yours. He's your adversary. The devil, come on, somebody. He walks about 
like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Listen, look at what the writer says here. He says he's like a lion. He didn't say he was. He's, he's got a lot of bark but no bite. Why? Because Jesus triumphed over him openly and made a spectacle of him in Colossians. Come on, somebody. When he died on the cross, he took everything from the devil and he gave it to us. He's here bark, but he ain't got no bite. He's barking and you running. And you forgot to look back to see that rascal didn't have any teeth. Just look back. And by the way, you should never turn your back to the devil in the first place. Ephesians chapter 6, he says, armor yourself up. And everything in Ephesians 6 about armoring up is for the front of your body because you are always to face your enemy. You never turn your back on your enemy. That's why you need somebody to pray with you. Come here, Tim. See, something in the military called getting your six. Every military man knows what I'm talking about. Turn around. See, when somebody's got your six, see, we got each other, right? If we turn... The devil can't get at us, right? Because he's got my six. I got his six. So when we turn, the devil, you can't get to my boy. And we need to stop bickering against each other and get each other six. I mean, we're already facing the devil. So why should we be facing each other? We already got somebody that's trying to kill us, and we need to be sticking together. Am I talking to the right folks today? He's seeking whom he may. He may. He's seeking whom he may. It didn't say he would. The only way this joker can devour you is if you let him. Listen, listen, we got to stop. We got to stop this mentality that, oh, we all broke down. You got to understand that the devil is already defeated. See, notice, notice he's a snake in Genesis, but a dragon in Revelation. Somebody's feeding that rascal. Yeah, we are. Thank you. Somebody's feeding him, right? You got to stop giving space to the devil and take your rightful authority in Jesus' name. He's given you power of attorney, and you can arrest every situation, no matter what's going on in your life, on your job, with your children. You can arrest it in the name of Jesus. Glory to God. Then he goes on. He says, resist him. Resist the devil. Come on, saints of God. God is not going to do this part. And we need to stop praying for God to do something that you should be doing. Listen, stop asking God to take away something that you need to be putting away. Paul, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, he said, when I was a child, I thought as a child, I understood as a child, and I spake as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. And as a body, we need to stop this mentality of continually being a baby and being in the church for 20 years. And some of the stuff is you need to put away this childish stuff that we're operating in, and you need to stop asking God to put it away because he's not going to take away what you should be putting away. Are we ready to grow up today? He said, resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same suffering are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, that means make you whole, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be the glory 
and dominion forever and ever. So right there, saints of God, from that one little verse, we find the source of grace is from God. The source of grace is from God. Hmm. Let me read verse 12. For Silvanus, our faithful brother, as I consider him, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace. Yeah, see that? That this is the gospel. The gospel, that's what he's talking about. Is the true grace of God in which you stand. So if there's a true grace, then there must be a false grace. The greasy grace. You know the greasy grace. The greasy grace that says, come on in and you can sin all week and just come on in here and pay your tithe and everything is going to be all right, that God loves you. That's the greasy grace. You know, there's a whole lot more to grace than that. Yeah, God is requiring some things of us in order for us to, to remain steadfast. The word steadfast in the Greek is the present tense. It didn't mean you were steadfast. It means you need to be steadfast. That means every day we got to fight for it. Hello, somebody. And I know people say, well, I'll die daily. Well, you know Paul is not talking about dying to sin. He's talking about dying to the self-life because we're already dead to sin. All right, all right, all right. I don't have time to teach that today, so we're going to move right on. If there's a true grace, then there must be a false grace. We are living in a time when there are so many teachings of, on God's grace and his love that exceeds the boundaries of truth. They go way outside of that. Peter teaches us that the source of grace is God, and it is not bestowed unconditionally. Rather, it is given to those who are humble and submit to the will of God. Did you hear that? Is given to those, I just read you the scriptures, is given to those who are humble and submit to the will of God. Now, grace in the New Testament is the Greek word kairis, kairis, and it's mentioned 156 times in the New Testament. In 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, Titus, Philemon, and 1st and 2nd Timothy, they all begin with grace and end with grace. Every one of those books, if you start reading those books, the writer begins with grace, and when he ends each one of those books, he ends with grace. What's amazing about this word is that the fact that the Holy Spirit distributes each individual gift through grace. Check this out. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4 says, there are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. That word gifts in the Greek is the same word, kairos. So when you see gift and when you see grace, you're seeing the same thing. So in other words, saints of God, if you understand that you have a gift from God, that is a grace gift. That that gift has been graced unto you. Uh, and so in Romans eleven twenty nine 29, it says, for the gifts, the kairos, the grace and callings of God are what? Irrevocable, unrepentant. Now, what you may not know is that particular verse in Romans eleven twenty nine is speaking specifically about Israel. But more broadly, it's speaking about us. So specifically, Israel has never, ever been absolutely removed from the grace of God. Come on, somebody. The Bible says in Romans chapter 11 that they were, they were moved out of the olive branch because of unbelief. But when they believe in Jesus Christ, they are grafted back in. Now, we are grafted in, too, because we are the Gentile nation. But there is a, a theology out there called displacement theology that says that the Jews can't come back and be saved. But that is that is a false doctrine. 
And so there is a possibility for every person, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or Gentile, to come to Jesus. All you have to do is believe upon him, receive him in your life, but then you have to continue to walk with him. Come on, somebody. So just saying a prayer at the altar don't magically make you saved. There has to be a preceding walk that you have to have in your life. Come on, somebody. Just having him as your Savior is not enough. you got to have him as your Lord. In other words, you got to submit under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And sometimes you have to bring your body under submission of the Holy Ghost. Your body is not going to want to submit. You're going to have to make your body submit. I don't know if I'm talking to the right people or not. Maybe, maybe your body just submit. My body is just crazy. It don't want to submit. It wants to go back and do the same stuff I used to do. And so typically most associate grace with unmerited favor. But what does that really mean, saints of God? Is there more to grace than what we've been taught? Can we operate in a greater level of understanding regarding grace? So as I begin to look at this a little deeper, I looked at the Strong's Concordance. So I wanted to put it up here so you can see it. In the Strong's Concordance, which you use this particular book so that you can understand what words mean in Greek and what words mean in Hebrew. The Old Testament was originally written in Hebrew. And so sometimes the English variation of the word does not mean the same thing as a Hebrew word. And sometimes the Greek variation of the word does not mean what it means in English. And so this is what the word in the Strong's Concordance means. Check this out. That which affords joy, pleasure, delight, sweetness, charm, loveliness, goodwill, loving kindness, favor, exerting God's holy influence upon souls, turns them to Christ, keeps, strengthens, increases them in Christian faith, knowledge, affection, and kindles them to the exercise of the Christian virtues. Wow, right? I didn't realize all that stuff was in grace, right? And oh, what's grace? It's just unmerited favor. Man, there is so much more to grace than just unmerited favor. Amen? Amen? Oh, I know you guys are taking pictures of that. I'll send you guys the PowerPoint. Don't worry about it. So I listened to a lot of different theologians, and so Derek Prince said this about grace. He said, grace is something that's delicate, Something that's beautiful, something that produces a sweet reaction from people. Good gracious. So when people react certain ways to you, you think you all that. Dang, no, that's God's grace on your life. Amen. We, we, that's why you have to stay humble. Right? So listen, so a thousand people get saved. You better stay humble. Amen. And one person gets saved. You better stay humble. Why? Because that's, what, that's just your duty. That's just something that we do. Amen? And so that gift, that grace gift was given to you. And the Bible says, what do you have that you wasn't given? So before you get too haughty and high-minded, everything that you got, somebody gave it to you. <laughs> Including your very life. So what do you have that wasn't given? <laughs> Nothing. Everything was given to you. Right? So how, how are you going to take ownership of it? See, he didn't call us to be owners. He called us to be stewards. It's just like with money. You don't own money. God owns everything. You don't own money. God owns it all. He called you to be a good steward of it. It's not how much you have. It's how much you can handle in the first place. Because there's a lot of people that got money, they don't know what to do with it. Right? People win the lottery. Six years, they broke and they owe more than they owe before they even won the lottery. Why? Because they got the check, but they never changed the mentality. 
right? But you can have a check on the outside, but you're still broke and poor living on the inside, then you're going to spend everything you got on the outside. That's why God, God says, I wish above all things that you prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. So if I can prosper on the inside, I know how to handle prosperity on the outside. And as a Christian, we live our lives from the inside out, not from the outside in. Christopher Patrick Johnson, a good friend of mine, and hopefully you guys will see him this year. He's doing very well, by the way. He's strong. We got our weekly meetings again, and uh, man, this man is such a, a, a prolific writer. He said, grace is the absolute free benevolence of God's loving generosity, which results in any pardon, grand, pardon granted, any gift given, or any favor bestowed out of God's own goodness. Wow. Any pardon given, man, that's his grace right there that he bestows upon us. So I got a question for you today, saints. It's a basic question. You want the red pill? <laughs> or you want the blue pill? That's the question today. The red pill or the blue pill? The blue pill is works. The red pill is grace. <laughs> the blue pill allows you to continue and grope and plead and beg in your alternate reality bubble of darkness, and you continue to be a slave to sin. So in other words, you can take the blue pill right now, and you just stay in your little old broke world. You just broke, toe up, toe down, no hope, just lost. Don't know who you are, no vision, no passion, no, no destiny for your life. Just go ahead and take the blue pill and we'll leave you alone. But if you take the red pill, notice it's red. The blood. So I don't know about you, when I was watching The Matrix and Morpheus. That brother's talking about the red pill and the blue pill. I said, that brother preaching. I said, one day, I'm going to put that in his sermon, man. You know how long the Matrix has been out, right? And this is the first time I ever. <laughs> so you see how long it took. But I thought about this when I was doing this message. Let me tell you what the red pill is. When you take the red pill, it allows your eyes to be open to the reality of this sinful world and its pernicious stronghold on the minds of people. And it compels you to fall at the foot of the cross to become slaves of righteousness. I'll take the red pill. I'll take the red pill, Alex. So the question is, which pill do you want to take today? Turn to Acts chapter 4. <laughs> the red gummy. <laughs> Turn to Acts chapter 4. I'm not setting y'all up. I am. I'm not setting you up. I promise I'm not. <laughs> I know normally I would, but I'm not setting you up. Acts chapter. <laughs> I'm, I'm really not. I'm <laughs> no, no, no. It, it, we good. We good. I'm not setting you up. I promise you I'm not. We're just going to read the scriptures. So Acts chapter 4. Verse 32 and 33. I want to show you something here because when I don't read it ahead of me. So you're already reading ahead of me. There you go. See, that's what see. You're just disobedient people. So so listen, listen, don't read that yet. Don't read it yet. 
And so there are so many variations of grace that I have read in the scriptures. It blows my mind. And so I had to go back and reread. I got to reread all of the epistolary letters. And as I read them, I, the Lord said, I want you to circle every time the word grace is mentioned. Man, it is, it, is, it is crazy how many times God mentions grace in the word of God that I just, I just read over because I was probably looking at something else or I was studying something else. But I didn't realize how important grace was that I need to appropriate that grace in my life today. Now, this particular section in Acts chapter 4 blew my mind about grace. Check this out, guys. Now, listen, before we read this, this at the end of service, this is something that the, I felt like when I was standing here, the Lord said, I want you to pray this over the people. Right. So so let's read it together. Y'all ready? Somebody say, I'm ready. I'll say Acts chapter four, verse 32 says this. Now, the multitudes of those who believed were of one heart. Somebody say one heart. And one soul. Somebody say one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. Let's let's stop right there. So first of all, we got to get in unity. This is about unity. Now, there can be unity in our diversity. Diversity doesn't mean that you don't unify. That means that you are a diverse group of people, but under one common anointing. That, that's the diversity that's, that's listed in the Bible, that we can come from all different kinds of backgrounds and a multiplicity of different things that we've gone through and the vicissitudes of life that we've experienced. Then we all come together from all the hurt and the pain, church hurt, relationship hurt, all kinds of hurt that comes in, divorce, everything that comes in. We bring all of that into one big old stew pot, right? We got all of these diversities in, in this one place, but we're under one anointing. It's not my anointing, it's his anointing. Because it's not my church, it's his church. And so we got to understand, I don't own anything. We're just a steward of everything. Right? And so we're coming together, one mind, one, one soul, under one common goal. What is that? To know him and to make him known. If you don't know what your purpose is, that's it right there. That's it. Until you know that part, you really won't know who you are. To know him and to make him known. Out of that, he'll show you what you need to be doing. See, some people think that what they do is their purpose. No, your purpose is to know him. Come on, somebody. So can nobody, you can't, you've been to my church now. You up in here, you already know what your purpose is. Somebody say, what's your purpose? Oh, I don't know. Well, yes, you do know. To know God. How do I get to know God? Well, you got to read his word. Amen. Now, I haven't figured out. Um, I might have some people that know science that somehow we can we can melt the Bible down and somehow pour it in our brains. I mean, I hadn't figured that part out yet. Maybe that would that would be pretty cool. Right. If somehow the moment you poured it, it cooled instantly. Right. Because it's hot. Right. And then and then the moment you you open your eyes. See, I look at it like this. See, when you in when you before you can go into the matrix. You had to sit in the chair, and they had to hook you up to a database. The database knew everything. When they hooked them up to the database, he said, what do you want to learn? And all he had to do was plug in from the database what he wanted to learn. 
All he had to do was stay connected. See, if you're not connected to the database, come on, somebody. If you don't stay connected to the word of God, then whatever you need, you are unplugged from it. You see, you see, the reason if I had a lamp in here right now, and this is a socket. We paid our bill because the heat is barely working. So we, we are in here. I mean, the air is barely working. So that plug is hot. And if you don't believe it, if you get a fork and you plug it in there, yeah, right? So don't try this at home, children, because take my word for it, I've, I've experienced it. Don't, don't ask me how. We're we moving on. And so it, it's, it's, it's got some power to it. But listen, Duke Power can't send all of the power from that company to that plug. Right? So there's something out there on the street called a transformer. Because the power from Duke is so great and so powerful that if Duke allowed all of that power to this plug, it would blow this building up. So what Duke had to do was to put some transformers out on the streets so that they can step down the power so that that power would be usable. See, there are a lot of Christians got, got power, but they're not usable. Because the transformer is a type of the Holy Ghost. Come on, somebody. Because the Holy Ghost allows you to use the amount of God's power that you can handle. And when the Holy Ghost is out of place, then you mess people up. You profit a lot of folks. You talk stuff you don't need to be talking. You're gossiping. <laughs> but if I had a little lamp here and I plug it in and let's just say the lamp is off, nothing's going to happen. Right? So listen, you plugged up to the source, but don't nobody know it. Good gracious. So in order for people to know you plugged up into the source, is you got to flip the switch. And some of you sitting right here right now, you need to, you got to have a switch. Flip the switch. Turn your light on, saints of God. The devil messing with your family. Flip the switch. That's it. Don't call me. Call God. Amen? It's time to grow up. What am I going to do? Listen, that's your house. Get the demons out of your house. I ain't bring them brothers in there. So why I'm going to go up, up in there? I ain't going up in there. <laughs> Y'all know what I'm saying? You can, Pastor, I need you to come over. Uh, why? What you got up in there, man? What you in there entertaining? Amen. Because I might not want to go up in there. I might have to say, you need to be slanging all around this place, man. You know what I'm saying? Y'all know what I'm talking about? Listen, listen. I'll go, but you better have already prayed. Amen. So somebody said, turn the power on. So let me get to this next verse. So we can get up out of here. Where were we? <laughs> All right. Acts chapter 4, verse 32. Let's read 33. You ready? 
And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them. I have probably read this scripture text, I don't know how many times, Michelle, because I, I see you shaking your head, right? I have read that so many times, but yet, now that I'm really dealing with this thing about grace, I see the Lord says, great grace. So now we not only get to appropriate grace so that we can continue to advance the cause of Christ, but we can also operate in great grace. That's double-double. See, y'all don't know what I'm talking about up in here. So when I read that, I was like, grace for grace, double-double. Great grace. Oh, man, y'all might not want double. I don't think they want double. I don't think they want double, Marsha. You came up here singing a song. I don't know if they want double or not. If you want double, come on and lift your hands and say, God, give me double. Hey, glory, glory. He said, I want to give you great grace. <laughs> glory to God. Somebody said great grace. See, that's what God wants me to pray over you at the end of service, that you can operate in great grace. See, things are just going to open up for you, and you're going to be like, oh, God. And you're going to say, yeah, great grace, man. You're going to meet people, and they're just going to write you a check. And you're going to be like, yep, great grace. Praise the Lord. You're going to need something for your ministry. You haven't even prayed about it yet. And the door is going to open for you, and you just go, yeah, that's great grace. Hallelujah. <laughs> Somebody said, great grace. Glory to God. And see, that's what I want to operate in, saints of God. See, we've been using this loose grace. But he said, I'll give you great grace. Listen, write this down. His grace repositions us from a man-centered supposition to a God-centered disposition. Glory to God. That's what his grace does. What I mean by that is we go from the ideals and standards of man to the character and temperament of God. Come on, somebody. We got to get back to a God-centered church. If you came in here for stuff, you came in here for the wrong reason. I ain't interested in praying for you to get stuff. But I do want you to get God. Paul prayed like this. He said, I travail in birth pains so that Christ may be formed in them. And as I was praying for you this morning, my prayer was, Father, I give birth that C3 would have Christ formed in them. Amen. That you operate in great grace, double, double, and you still stay humble. Amen. That no matter how God blesses you, you still stay humble. He gives you the check, and you still stay humble. He gives you the house, and you still stay, stay humble. Come on, somebody. He opens that door for you, and you say, Lord, that's great grace. Thank you. I'll take that. That's my daddy. That's what he does. Our attention, this is last it. This is it, I'm, and I'm done. Our attention should be grounded in the centrality of Jesus Christ as the chief cornerstone. Listen, away with all this stuff with these men calling themselves chief apostles. You ain't no chief apostle. Chief bishop and all this nonsense trying to take the position of Jesus. That's man-centered. We got to get back God-centered, Christ-centered. He's the only chief cornerstone. And he's also the chief apostle. So wait a minute, you're going to take his place? 
then what you going to do for me? You didn't even die for me. See, that's why we got to know who Jesus is. Jesus is the beginning of creation of God. Jesus is the captain of our salvation, bringing many sons to glory. Jesus is the shepherd and bishop of our souls. Jesus is the day star to arise. Jesus is the righteous branch. Jesus is the one who paid the ransom for our souls. Jesus is the lamb of God. Jesus is the indescribable gift. Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. Jesus is the son of the most high God. He's Emmanuel, God with us, because he couldn't save us away from us. So he wrapped his word in flesh and dwelt among us. God with us, Emmanuel. Jesus is the righteous branch. Jesus is the word made flesh. Jesus is the lamb of God. He's Judah, the lion of the tribe of Judah. That's who he is. He's our hope. He's our redeemer. He's our savior. He's our peace. He's our joy. He's our everything. He's the fullness of ministry. He's a Godhead bodily. Gracious, gracious, gracious. See, when you put Jesus back in the center, you can have the mentality, for God I live, and for God I'll die. Because I have embraced the cross of Calvary and I'm dying to my flesh so that God can reign strong in my life. Come on, somebody. Because, see, I want to operate in great grace. Somebody say great grace. When you fall at the foot of the cross, he will give you great grace. We hope you've been blessed by today's powerful teaching. Thank you for your continued prayers and financial support of this ministry. Visit us in person at 5805 West Highway 74 in Indian Trail, North Carolina. That's near Lowe's Hardware. Or you can find us on the web at www.changeatc3.org. That's change, C-H-A-N-G-E-A-T-C, the number three, dot org. Or call us at 704-821-7368. Covenant Community Church, where the truth is revealed.